Please turn your Bibles to Psalm 33. Now this morning, as I did once before, I brought this uh, real sword, real double-edged sword, because we're going to talk a bit about swords. I also brought this sword, the Bible. My my views it much more than my military sword. In fact, this particular Bible, the Lord helped convict me about the sanctity of human life. Two swords. Pastor Billy asked me to preach about hope and fear, about the sovereignty of God, something to follow Election Day. So I saw, I found Psalm 33. It also fits in well with the theme of Ecclesiastes, the book Pastor Billy is preaching on, the necessity of fearing God in a fallen and therefore frequently confusing and frustrating world. Turns out it also fits well with Robert Bristol's sermon next Sunday, as well as with this year's Christ Church Arlington preaching theme, Learning to Thrive in a Broken World. The Book of Psalms is filled with songs and prayers offered to God by the nation of Israel. Some, like Psalm 33, explode with praise to God and invite others to join in song. The diversity of the Psalms is unified by one element. They are centered upon the one and only living God. This creator God is king of all the earth and a refuge to all who trust in him. He who helps us every hour. Now let us hear the word of the Lord. Even as I read it, Lord, please write its eternal truth upon all our hearts. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Befit means be appropriate for, so praise is appropriate for the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out, on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. 
for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth upon all our hearts. Let us pray. Dear Lord, our Heavenly Father, and in the name of your Son, Jesus, yes, we do need the every hour, most gracious Lord. Thank you for your steadfast love and help us by this message see the depth and breadth of your steadfast love, your loyal love. Please help me speak your word clearly and allow all parts of our church and others listening to hear, understand, and act on your word. Amen. As I began to prepare this sermon, I recalled it was sometime after 1997 when I first became a ruling elder here. A beautiful young woman I saw only once. I will call her Annie. She had been recently diagnosed with reproductive cancer. She came before the elders for what the Lord says in James 5. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him or her, anointing, in this case, her with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will rise him up. The oil symbolically represents the healing power of the Holy Spirit, and it is God, not oil that heals. I should point out that my ESV commentary notes that save here can mean the sick person will be physically healed and or the sick person may also experience spiritual salvation based on the multiple meanings of the Greek word sozo or growth in the blessings of salvation. As seen throughout the Bible, Jesus healed both physically and spiritually, And the same double connotation may be present here as well. James is not teaching that all illnesses will be healed if people would simply call on the elders or to try to make themselves have enough faith or pray with enough conviction. Healing, when it does come, is always a gift from God who is sovereign over all circumstances, including sickness and health. Here, the prayer of faith is not the faith of the sick person, but the faith of those praying. Within a few months, I was told that she had died. Yet I also recall how at peace she seemed when she sat there being prayed for. She seemed to have such a peace of conscience. For you today who may be faced with trouble or despair, whether it be difficult inner struggles or difficulty in relationships or with emotions, difficulty with health, loneliness, loss of a loved one, and especially losses that just don't seem fair, seeing or experiencing the effects of the fallen world like suicide, slavery, persecution, harassment, drug or child abuse, unemployment, racial injustice, COVID-19, cancer, dealing with a difficult tenant or boss or child, seeing a horrific accident or even seeing murder or other death before your eyes. You may have difficulty coping with why things are the way they are in your community or nation or in the world. And all the division, when you want from the depths of your heart and soul to cry out, to have someone hear your voice and please for mercy this psalm on the steadfast love of the Lord and learning more about this kind of loyal love is for you. 
And yes, believers, we all face trials. But God's word says in the same book of James, count it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that testing of your faith produces steadfastness. In my study Bible notes, when trials occur, one should count it all joy, not meaning mere worldly temporal happiness, but rather spiritual, enduring, complete joy in the Lord, who is sovereign over all things, including trials. This is the steadfast love of the Lord. No, I don't mean to say that don't see a medical doctor or a psychologist or a counselor if you have a need, and sometimes we refuse even to see a professional when we ought to. But be careful to use one who won't undermine your Christian faith. Psalm, 30, Psalm 33's message is for the righteous and the upright, and the upright are the people of God who have received his covenant and his steadfast love. This means followers of Jesus. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your, as your Lord and Savior, I pray by this message and other circumstances in your life that God would open your eyes to the truth of the steadfast love of the Lord and the good news, the gospel about Jesus. Okay, before we look at Psalm 33 again, we need to look at one key word in the Hebrew. The first sermon slide, please. That's it, thank you. This three-consonant word, biblical Hebrew was written originally without any vowels, read from right to left, is chet, pronounced as a guttural in the throat, like k in bak, samek, like a circle with the S sound, and dalit with the D sound. The dots are vowel signs. Here, segol, three little dots, were added after A.D. 700. It's pronounced eh, isn't yet. Most Hebrew words accent on the last syllable, but this two-segol word is on the first syllable, so it's kesed. Kesed is used nearly 250 times in the Old Testament, and a lot in the Psalms. But this really caught my attention. My Vines Expository Dictionary said, Kesed is one of the most important in the vocabulary of Old Testament theology and ethics. Another unnamed scholar said, Kesed is a defining characteristic of God. Now, of this most important word in the vocabulary of the Old Testament, every source I checked says it cannot be defined by one or even two English words, and it isn't, isn't even definable. In Psalm 33, in the English Standard Version, ESV, I read from, kesed is translated as steadfast love, but also translated using 12 other words. Someone said there are over 150 terms used for it, and he described the word as multidimensional. You'll also see loving kindness, done by Miles Coverdale, English Bible translator who did the Coverdale Bible in 1535, the first complete printed modern English translation of the Bible. And and that slide, go to the black, please. Researcher Will Kine summarized key aspects of Hesed in a C.S. Lewis Institute article. It always involves an interpersonal relationship between either individuals or groups. Whether that is between family members like Naomi, when, when she said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth of Boaz, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness, kesed, 
has not forsaken the living or the dead. Between a host and a guest, as Lot said to the men who rescued him from Sodom, saying, You have shown me great kindness, Kessid, in saving my life. Between friends, as David said to Jonathan in 1 Samuel, Therefore deal kindly, Kessid, with your servant, or a sovereign and his subjects, like in 2 Samuel, when David, when it was told that the men of Jabez Gilead, who buried Saul, David said a message to them, May you be blessed by the Lord, because you showed loyalty, Kessid, to Saul and your Lord, and buried him. A degree of mutuality can be assumed, since response in kind is often expected. Michael Card, in his book on Hesed, points out that reciprocity, which is mutual dependence, is an indication that you have internalized the internal, the nature, the truth of Kessid. If it is not returned freely in gratitude, you have not understood the nature of Kessid that was shown to you in the first place. By the way, this mutuality need isn't why is, is why Kessid isn't translated as grace in our Pew Bibles. Further, Wilkine points out, Kessid is never merely an abstract feeling of goodwill, but always entails practical action on the part uh, on, on behalf of another. Like when the Israelite army spared the family of Rahab and Joshua too, when she did an act of Kessid for them, and she said to the men, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that, as I have dealt kindly, Kessid, with you, you also will deal kindly, Kessid, with my father's house and deliver your lives from our death. And finally, Kessid addresses God's relationship with people. The vast disparity between the eternal and infinite God and the mere mortal recipients of his Kessid alters the meaning of the term. Mutuality can no longer be expected because God does not have any needs for humans to fulfill though he does demand obedience to his commandments. Like the second commandment, when the Lord told his people not to bow down and serve other gods, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love, kessed, to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. The Hebrew verb often used suggests that God does kessed for those who call on him. And people do not call on the Lord, like said so rich, and people do call on the Lord, as said so richly in Psalm 69. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, kessed, answer me in your faithfulness, that's the Hebrew word, emet, deliver me from sinking in the mire, let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters." Let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love, Kesed, is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. Author Pat Hutchins, in her book on Hebrew letters, said Samak represents circling or surrounding. It's as if the letter is saying God surrounds us with his love. In Exodus 34, when Moses went up Mount Sinai with the two stone tablets for the Ten Commandments, the Lord proclaimed his name, Yahweh, and said, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, 
The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, kessed, and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love, kessed, for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Note here, God doesn't list first power or holiness, but rather mercy. The Hebrew rahum meaning full of compassion, merciful, slow to anger. Michael Card said, Hesed has linguistic gravity because the Old Testament, it has other words drawn to it, as if, for God, as if God were helping the writers show how inexpressible and incredible his Kesed is. The eight principal words are truth, mercy or compassion, covenant, berit in Hebrew, justice, faithfulness, goodness, tov in Hebrew, favor, hen in Hebrew, and righteousness. Hesed can only be understood as the Lord's covenantal relationship toward his followers. A biblical covenant implies much more than a simple contract or agreement, in that a contract involves one aspect of a person's life, like buying a car, and always has an end or completion date, while a covenant is a permanent arrangement and also covers the person's total being. The covenant between God and his people is one of the most important theological truths of the Bible. Kesed is enduring, corresponding to both the unchanging nature of God's requirements of his people and the lasting commitment built into the relationships in which it is expressed in his covenant relationships. Lamentations 3, the steadfast love, Kesed, of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, there I will hope, therefore I will hope in him. It's a love that will not let us go. God remains steadfast and immovable in his love for us despite our undeserving, despite our sin. This is a steadfast love of the Lord to Israel that despite Israel's failings, God kept his promises to her. Next sermon slide, please. The story arc of the Bible can be summarized as creation, fall, Redemption and restoration or consummation. And I realize Kesed fits into all of this. The ESV study Bible lays out the story arc, uh, and we covered it in Sunday school several years ago. The table on the overhead and in the sermon outline summarizes my thoughts. God created man in his own image to be like him and to have unhindered fellowship with him. We once had the world we all wanted, a world of peace, shalom, without death, disease, physical poverty or conflict. The world was made for human flourishing. There we could live in the joy and joy in the presence of our maker, worshiping God by loving him and one another forever. Adam and Eve rejected God's rule over them in a rebellious choice called the fall. And because God designed that Adam would represent the entire human race, his sin or one trespass led to condemnation for all men, Romans 5.18. Our fellowship with God was broken. Instead of enjoying his holy pleasure, we instead face his righteous wrath. Through this sin, we all died spiritually. Sickness, physical death, abortion, division, sexual immorality, greed, pride, and injustice are all results. But God didn't leave us there. Instead, he set in motion his plan to save his people from sin and judgment 
and set free the entire creation from its subjugation to sin and the curse. How? By sending his son. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus came into the world, died as a victim of injustice and as our substitute, bearing the penalty of our evil and sin on himself. Our redeemer, our redemption. The story doesn't end there. God has promised to renew the whole world, and the Bible gives us a peek into this glorious future. He will usher in righteousness and joy. God will purge this world of evil once and for all. But there will be judgment. However, for believers, there's even good news, and that because of our being justified. We see in the story of the Bible God's steadfast love, his kesed, was there before the creation, and it will continue after restoration forever. The steadfast love, kesed, of the Lord never ceases. God established his covenants, which result from his kesed. Like the overarching covenant of redemption tied to kesed, to call those to Christ made by the members of the Trinity, since Adam violated the covenant of works. The Abrahamic covenant promised Adam a land, descendants, and blessing. The Mosaic covenant supplied the law meant to govern and shape the people of Israel not as a means of salvation, but it would distinguish the people from the surrounding nations. And the Davidic unconditional covenant that pointed to Jesus and the new covenant of the coming day that would bring forgiveness of sin, internal renewal of the heart, and intimate knowledge with God in the covenant of grace. And oh, the cross. And on our part, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Okay, I'm at point two in the outline, and soon we'll be in Psalm 33, and at point two in the outline, I'm getting close to it. Uh, The next and last sermon slide, please. Harvard Business School professor Michael Porter coined the term value chain, the set of strategically relevant activities that a firm place performs in order to deliver a valuable product, a good or a service for the market. The slide and the outline show what I call a biblical value, value chain based on Romans 8.30. God for new, predestined, called, justified by faith alone, glorified, and were adopted, and he sanctifies. God for new of his covenant affection for his people. Then he predestined or predetermined those whom he chose beforehand who would become like Christ. He called those effectively to faith through the gospel, and he justified or declared those called to be right in his sight, saved from the guilt of sin. That's why we need not fear God's judgment. And those who are justified will also be glorified or receive resurrection bodies on the last day, saved from the presence of sin, to live eternally in heaven. By adoption, we become God's sons with all the rights and privileges of being his And through sanctification, being saved from the power of sin by the work of God's free grace, we are made new in the image of God, more able to become dead to sin and alive to righteousness. To me, this is also a value chain that shows God's kessid. We stand in awe of him. You can end the sermon slides, please. What is our response? Praise, glorify, be witnesses, go and make disciples, show kessid. Man's primary purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify is to magnify him through praising his name 
and honoring his commandments. Thanksgiving is part of praising God. I'll get to the benefits of the value chain at the end of the message. So I'm now at point two in the outline. Psalm 33, verses 1 to 3, we are praising God and giving thanks for what follows in verses 4 to 22. And it's done by the righteous, those in Christ, righteous by having been called and justified. By the way, as righteous saints, in Hebrew, we are the Hesedim. We, because of his chesed, praise him, like in Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul, search, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love, kessed, is better than life. My lips will praise you. One commentator noted a new song is one, in, one which, in consequence of some mighty deeds of God, comes from a new impulse of gratitude or God's grace in the heart. Michael Card speaks of sympathetic resonance, like when a tuning fork causes a guitar string to vibrate, even when they're not physically connected. He said, Kesed can resonate in us because it's a deep vestigial part of the image of God in us. At even the darkest moments in our lives, when Kesed seems most distant and least eternal, we find it somewhere in ourselves to sing about the reality of it, the eternity of it, or even a, moment, or even a momentary abundance of it. All this, he says, explains why the vast majority of references that contain the word Kesed, even those outside the Psalms, are sung or occur in poems. Okay, moving right along now, I'm at point three in the outline. The earth is filled with the steadfast love of the Lord. You think things are bad now. In October 2018, Ligonier Ministries article on the state of theology, the questions that matter most stated that in the late 1960s and early 70s were a tumultuous time in American history. With riots and armed police and guardsmen marching through Chicago streets at the 1968 Democratic Convention, of the Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert F. Kennedy assassinations, a nation divided over the Vietnam War, and the killings of unarmed students at uh, Kent State University uh, by guardsmen. And in 1971, the Nixon administration declared a war on drugs. Onlookers thought the American nation might unravel before it was to reach its 1976 bicentennial anniversary. 100 years before that, in the 1860s, a divided nation went to civil war. Today, in the early 20th century, many think we are at a crisis. We can add more to the mix, like climate, terrorism, COVID, and the evils of the internet and social media. The 2018 article said, we have become a nation of security in the face of terror, and many live in fear. We are deeply divided politically, cultivating suspicion and hatred. Our entertainment culture has become more loud, more violent, more graphic, more sexual. We can hardly be shocked anymore, let alone be shamed. Many have lost faith in the American institutions that former generations relied on. Many are asking, what is the future of America? Many wonder if it indeed even has one. In 1971, R.C. Sproul founded Ligonier Ministries, being well aware of the times 
and a nation in turmoil. He responded to that cultural moment by pushing past the political and cultural matters to the issues that were truly at the heart of the problem. He answered the crisis of the day by turning to theology. Ligonier's article says it's the same today. Yes, on theology. And Jewish raised Pastor Gene Binder notes, the kingdom of God lives only inside a human heart that is open and willing to let God rule and reign in it. Theology is the study of God, and not only God, but all that God has revealed to us in the Bible. It includes studying about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, creation, sin, evil, forgiveness, grace and repentance, the church, and the future. No matter what year it is, no matter what the particular conflict of the day is, they said, the questions that matter most are always the theological questions. The answers that are needed the most are always the sound, time-tested answers that have come down to us in the Bible, like in Psalm 33. We in the church need to be ready to provide answers to them, to be the salt to influence the world for good and light to those in darkness. In verses 4 through 9, we praise the Lord for the earth and his creation and for being full of its steadfast love, Kesed. And we praise him because of his word, which is upright, and all that he does is done in faithfulness. This means his word is morally right, and the Lord is dependable, loyal, and stable. He keeps his covenants. He loves righteousness and justice, and all these are part of the linguistic gravity of Kesed, and all these are part of who Jesus is, too. Doing justice, my Bible dictionary says, is to maintain what is right or set things right. Justice is done when honorable relations are maintained between husbands and wives, parents and children, employers and employees, governments and citizens, and human beings and God. And that includes us in the church. Kings, rulers, and those in power are to be instruments of justice, as Psalm 72 on the Davidic king reminds us. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. We are reminded and praised that by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And in John, we know the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Mark has it here. From 2 Timothy 3, it tells us how to be ready to answer theological questions and be a witness and a light to the fallen world. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. From Psalm 119, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. In verses 8 and 9 of Psalm 33, all the earth is told to fear the Lord and stand in awe of him. In verse 18, the Lord says his eye is on those who fear him. Pastor Billy said last Sunday, he told us fear means showing reverence, respect, adoration, and appreciation. And he reminded us that those who fear God will do well. He told us to fear God because he is powerful and he is gracious. Fortunately, we as believers 
can have a, a healthy fear of the Lord, it need not fear judgment just prior to restoration. The unbeliever, on the other hand, by John 3.18, stands condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God and sadly won't seek repentance and will either hide from God or deny God's existence. In verses 10 to 17, we find hope in God's character. He is sovereign, omnipotent, and omniscient. His will prevails. And we, as we see in verses 7 and 9, even the weather and climate are under his control. For he gathers the waters of the sea and he puts the deeps in storehouses, which for God are like rain, snow, hail, wind, sea, and groundwater. God's attributes are his essential characteristics that make him who he is, and they are seen most clearly in Christ. Like God's omnipresence, where he is present everywhere, looking down from heaven to see each and every one of his children, in verses 13, 15, and 18. God's omnipotence is being able to do his holy will, like in verse 10, where the Lord brings counsel of the nations to nothing. And his sovereignty with absolute rule over creation is king and in total control and determination over all that happens. In verse 15, fashioning the hearts of all. In verse 19, delivering through his steadfast love. is kessed. In verse 6, the Lord by the breath of his mouth made all of us. We know from Genesis, he gives the breath of life. As someone who for decades has been an engineer and worked on some of the most complex things man has designed and made, like the ship USS Enterprise, as someone who has worked with uncertainty, probability, and complex systems, when I look at the complexity of the human body and even marvel at the fact we have two eyes and two ears and all works together, when we look at the complexity of even a human cell and now understand Kessid, only Trinity Engineering could do this. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, let us all stand in awe of him and pray for the eyes of the blind to be opened. Whatever is sworn, whoever is sworn in and serves as U.S. President and Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces, we know from Psalm 33, verses 16 to 17, that we cannot put true hope in human leaders or armies. Daniel 4 even says that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. And yet, from 1 Peter, we are to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the empire as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Finally, in Romans, God tells us, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. We are not, however, left without any recourse. God tells us in 1 Timothy, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high places, that we may lead peaceful and quiet li- a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, and dignified in every way. 
This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Now, I suppose looking at verse 12, we can ask, is there a nation whose God is the Lord? The United States Declaration of Independence does list the divine, but the Constitution does not, other than in the date. According to a 2016 Pew Research Center analysis, God, or the divine, is mentioned in at least one in each of the 50 state constitutions. But are we such a nation? By the way, Virginians, take a look and see where you can find Jesus and servant leadership in our Virginia Constitution. They've been there since 1776. Whatever is your nation, the U.S. or another, I'd say pray for the nation's leaders to rule and its citizens to live by the linguistic gravity, words of Hesed. Truth, mercy or compassion, covenant, justice, faithfulness, goodness, favor, and righteousness, and do so with forgiveness. And pray for leaders to serve like Jesus. Rest assured, too, that by verses 10 and 11, if a nation's leaders or leaders' plans get too far off from God's commandments, the Lord brings what they plan to nothing and frustrates them, our sovereign God. And thankfully, there is a nation whose God is the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, upon whose shoulders the government rests, whose name is called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of whose government and peace there, be, there, there shall be no end, who sits upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it. That is where we find great Kessid. Point four. At point four, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as, as or at the very same time as we hope in you. Ultimately, the dimensions of Kessid meet in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, as God the Father and the Son display abounding covenant kessid. The Lord's words given to Paul in Romans 8 summarize well. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's kessid. He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? More kessid. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. More kessid. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Kessid. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So for application, how do we respond on our part? You know, besides prayer, being a witness, answering questions, as I've already mentioned. Well, we said that Kesed involves reciprocal relationship. In the word of the Lord in Micah 6, what does the Lord require 
With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, kessed, and to walk humbly with your God. We cannot stand alone against the devil. As we read, the Lord is our help and our shield. The Lord has given us the full armor of God. Check it out in Ephesians 6. With that sword, you can defend against blows and fight back. I'd add being at a good, kessed-filled church family. I'd also recommend giving out lots of free fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Put on, then, as God's chosen holy as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. I'd like to close with these wonderful benefits of God's value chain. I did, and of God's hesed, from the Westminster Shorter Catechism benefits. We get benefits in this life when we die. Then with Christ at the resurrection that go or come with from justification, adoption, and sanctification. The benefits in this life, right here and now today, the assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, and growing and persevering in the grace to the end of our lives. When believers die, Our souls are made perfectly holy and immediately pass into glory. Our bodies, which are still united to Christ, rest in the grave until the resurrection. And finally, at our resurrection, believers raised in glory will be publicly recognized and declared not guilty on the day of judgment and will be made completely happy in the full enjoyment of God forever. Dear Lord, Thank you for your incomprehensible, steadfast love from before the world began and embodied in you as our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Help us trust in your holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, giving us peace of conscience, even as we hope in you. In the name of Jesus, amen.